The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, as rescue efforts continue in the North Atlantic Ocean for the Titanic submarine, banging sounds have been detected by sonar offering the embers of hope in this rescue mission. With time and air levels of the essence, every moment counts. To discuss this, I'm joined by former NATO and Naval Commander Dr. Chris Parry. Um, I think we have a small difficulty there, just a challenge with Chris's line. So we're going to try and reconnect with Chris Parry and get him back on. A man, obviously, with a fair degree of expertise in this area. Now, the latest in relation to the search is that I think it is a, a Canadian search aircraft has heard some knocking in the area. But at this point, there isn't a location as to where that knocking is coming from. And there's obviously two sections to this. There is the search and there is the rescue. And the fact that one may be successful is no guarantee that the other would be. I think we've been uh, reconnected with Chris Parry. Good morning, Chris. Hello, Anton. Chris, can I pick up with that issue of the, the search and rescue? We'll get to the possibilities of rescue if the search is successful. What are the chances of the search being successful? Well, I think they're vanishingly small, I'm afraid to say. Uh, I think uh, if you think about it, um, <laughs> we're trying to search an area the size of um, Ireland at the moment in thick fog and looking for a white van, basically. And that, and that, that is the nature of the task, four kilometres down. Very difficult indeed. Can you explain why the search area is so large and why there isn't direct communication with the submersible? Yeah, the uh, submersible relied for its communication on, on a Starlink, uh, you know, the Elon Musk communication system. Uh, that's been broken for some reason on the way down. Uh, I have to say these things frequently have communication problems anyway, even when they're functioning normally. Uh, but it, it seems they've lost communication with the, 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 the vehicle. Um, now, the, the basic issue is we haven't actually heard anything from the uh, submersible since uh, Sunday morning at nine o'clock our time. Um, time is running out, and that search area is so big because I'm afraid the United States and Canadian Coast Guards have decided that's where the submersible could have drifted if uh, it went uh, on the surface, for example, came up to the surface, or indeed has been pushed along by the ocean currents. I think it's a very large area, to tell you the truth. I think they should be concentrating far more on where uh, it's likely to be. What of things like direct tethers to the mothership or things like EPIRBs, emergency beacons? Why do no, none of those uh, exist in this instance? Yeah, I'm, afra- I'm afraid, to say, Anton, you know, this is an experimental uh, design. Uh, I'm afraid the, the area is totally unregulated. And um, you've got this inventor and entrepreneur who's gone ahead, well ahead of what I think is prudent with some of his technology. Uh, one of the things I'm really amazed about is they don't have a trailing wire with a buoy over the top that actually floats on the surface. I mean, uh, that, that's quite easy. You can get a very lightweight wire all the way down to, uh, you know, four kilometers and you'd see exactly where it was. Um, so even basic things like that haven't been sort of put in place. I, I'm, I'm not a great supporter of this technology. It's had all sorts of teething problems over the last four or five years. I'm not sure the hull has been tested every time it's been down. And when you're using carbon fibre, you really have to examine that carefully to make sure there are no flaws in it. In terms of the uh, reports of the knocking noises that have been heard, does that give you any optimism? Uh, not at all. No. Um, I mean, if you just think about it, Anton, you know, how do you knock on the inside of a carbon fibre hull? And secondly, there's lots of mechanical noise in, in the ocean. You're in the vicinity of Titanic and that's moaning and groaning away all the time anyway. So I think I'm afraid to say that people are clutching at straws here. 
Uh, and even if there is some knocking noise, they haven't been able to identify or localise where it is. Uh, and nothing is being emitted from the submersible. So right now, we shouldn't give ourselves false hope and distract ourselves from actually focusing on where the submersible might be. And Chris, from your expertise in the area, if you look at the fact pattern that we have so far, is it your supposition that it's likely to be on the surface or do you believe it's likely to be at bottom? Uh, I think from the evidence we have so far, it's still in the water column or on the seabed. Uh, I, I think with the amount of assets that are out at the moment, so with very sophisticated sensors, if it were on the surface, it would have been found by now. Well, as to those assets, there is, I think, an unspoken assumption that somewhere, particularly within the US Navy, there is a whole series of capabilities that we don't know about that are likely to be able to find this in a way that civilian equipment mightn't and then be able to rescue it in a way that civilian equipment mightn't. Is there any accuracy in that assumption? No, again, it's wishful thinking. The the United States Navy has an interesting piece of tethered uh, underwater vehicle that can go down to 20,000 feet. It it recovers aircraft normally and things like that. Uh, But that's unmanned. That can go down. It's got all sorts of tools and grabbers and things like that. Um, So it could get down there. There's no doubt about that. But again, you know, where's it going to start looking? It's got very limited range of of sort of detection capability and, and things like that. The only two chances is if they 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 find it in the next day or so, uh, you might be able to get a wire down there and get it round the submersible, pull it to the surface by a crane, and there is a vessel there that's got a got a crane. Um, that's never been done before at this depth. Or you can get a submersible down there um, that can actually grab it. We we call it hugging, and bring it to the surface that way. Again, never been done. Um, so there are assets, but I don't think anybody's worked out how you put it all together in the timescale. And they must be remarkable engineering challenges because this thing is not light and it is, what, four kilometres down? It's four kilometres down. It weighs 10 tonnes, yeah. So uh, this is not, not a sort of... It's basically like a, like a very heavy white van um, and, um, yeah, bringing it to the surface. Um, but the key thing, Anton, to my mind, is, you know, who calibrated the risks here? You know, these things go wrong regularly in much shallower depths than this and nobody said, you know, what, what if it does go wrong and we have to uh, do something? There's no plan B. Well, the irony, of course, is that Titanic was found as part of a mission to find two submarines, which they themselves had gone down in the area because of, of um, hull breach incidents to U.S. Navy submarines. Yeah. The, in, in terms of the remaining air, how long have the passengers on the submersible got? Well, I think the maximum, uh, they said, was basically nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Um, so you can see how urgent it is. Um, my my worry is that you can't even think about recovery until you've found the thing. And uh, I don't think they've even got the assets on, on station at the moment, even to lift it, even if they found it now. How significant is the search and rescue operation? Have you a sense of what assets have been deployed? Yeah, I mean, they put a lot of air assets in. So you've got military planes looking on the surface at the moment. You've got uh, other military planes dropping sonoboys, which basically are big hydrophones listening for sounds uh, coming from uh, the depths. Uh, I mean, the, the key thing that's missing here, Anton, is a, a basically the, the distress device that is fitted to most of these things. I don't know whether they fitted one to this particular uh, vessel or it's just not functioned, but you know, it's like a, a black box on an aircraft. Unless it's emitting something, you're not going to find it very easily. We're talking about a glass, basically a carbon fibre 
um, basically 20 foot long uh, tube that is sitting on the bottom amid a whole load of debris from Titanic amid canyons and, and underwater mountains. It, it's a phenomenal task. And although, you know, I'm an optimist who worries a lot, this is probably a very worrying situation. And, uh, you know, we have to, I'm afraid, fear for the worst. A lot of hypotheses have been put forward as to what might have happened. Um, and I think the two that are, are probably um, prime contenders is that it became entangled in wreckage or that there was a, a, a hull fracture. What's your thinking? Oh, I mean, I think if you look at the trajectory, it, it, it was descending, it was sinking, basically. Uh, at 1 hour 45, contact was lost. There's no indication of uh, any sort of uh, activity after that. If I were to put money on it, I think the hull was breached and there was an implosion. Uh, in that case, everything would have been over instantly. There would have been no uh, ability to react or respond. Finally, Chris, I suppose that the one thing that this will raise questions about in the coming days and weeks, it, regardless of the outcome, and obviously we keep fingers crossed that the outcome is a positive one, it presumably it will raise questions about whether or not this is an acceptable activity as tourism expeditions because there was no need for this expedition. This wasn't to discover wreckage that we didn't know was there. There was no archaeological value to it. This was purely high-risk entertainment. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I spent you know a career in the Navy uh, rescuing people from the sea and there are two types. There are those who go to down to the sea in ships knowing what the risks are um, and there are others who go out ignoring the risks and the ones you really resent are the ones who ignore the risk and you have to go and pull them out of the sea um, and, and I'm afraid to say uh, what I don't understand is people who are so successful how they didn't calibrate the risks here there were two things I mean the I'm afraid that the company had a, a record of fairly what I would call dodgy technology being applied. Uh, there was a CBS film last year where a journalist actually had to sign a certificate saying that the company wasn't responsible for, I quote, injury, emotional trauma or death. Uh, I mean, these are warning signs. And you looked at the very basic technology which was inside the vessel. Essentially, it had been got off the Internet uh, and used games controllers and things like that. You, you've got to start saying, you know, this is not something I want anybody I know or love to do. Um, I wouldn't have gone in that uh, vehicle, and I'm sure you wouldn't have done either, Anton. Chris, thank you very much for that analysis this morning. That's Dr. Chris Parry, who is former NATO and Naval Commander with the Royal Navy. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.